This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Smooth sailing for returning travelers. We just came here uh, hoping to get on a ferry. We didn't make a reservation, so we've only missed one. For many, the long weekend ends much better than it began. Travelers stranded by Sunwing. We're all Canadian citizens trying to get home. How a technical issue has turned dream vacations into nightmares. And a name that could change the game. Google S means the place where people were blessed. Why the vital statistics agency wouldn't accept it. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Long weekend travel is always a little bit dicey and a lot of people had an extra challenge thrown at them by the weather this morning. Grace Key is live at the Horseshoe Bay Ferry Terminal for us tonight where BC Ferries has been playing catch up after some uh, weather related cancellations this morning and can hear more weather pounding down right now. Grace, how are things right now? Well, the rain is still coming down. It's still a little windy here, but of course not as windy as earlier this morning when BC Ferries did have to cancel some of their uh, routes. My name's Freya, this wow. name's Owen, she's one, I'm six, she's four, In case you didn't catch that, these sisters are Freya, Arwen, and Gwen. They're at Horseshoe Bay waiting to head back home to Vancouver Island. They were planning on returning Tuesday, but the parents decided to risk it today. Well, we got here at noon, so three hours. Yeah, not bad. We got three little kids in the back, so uh, we've watched Moana, and uh, we'll pick another one after this. <laughs> Two, four, and six. Oh, that's fun. Yes, we're having a great time. <laughs> For BC Ferries, Monday is normally one of the more popular travel days over the Easter long weekend as everyone heads back home. But there was a bit of a rough start and it wasn't because of staffing issues. This morning, we've also seen some adverse weather conditions. And as a result, we had to cancel some sailings between Departure Bay and Horseshoe Bay this morning. Fortunately, as the weather calms down, sailings are going to resume. Some passengers we spoke with traveled without reservations prepared to wait it out in line. I couldn't get a reservation so I just it was I, I just drove and took took my chances <laughs> hoping <laughs> yeah. so you lucked out then I, I hope so I think so yeah. yeah but even a reservation isn't always a sure thing as one commercial driver found out after driving in from Calgary and I had a one o'clock booking but they made some kind of mistake so they bumped me to the 345 so yeah I was here at quarter after 10 this morning but it's okay, I'm patient. <laughs> That's the key, being patient. Nice to see people <laughs> fairly relaxed about it all. Grace, what's the status of ferry sailings now? Yeah, we've been keeping an eye on things throughout the day. So generally speaking, if you're going from the mainland to the island, it hasn't been looking too bad throughout the day. But in a reverse, uh, it's been filling up a little faster depending on what route you're looking at. So some of those uh, sailings are certainly booking up a little faster with some. Uh, you're going to have to wait till later on this evening for a sailing. All right. Thanks for that. Grace Key at Horseshoe Bay Ferry Terminal tonight. Grace, thank you. Well, if it's not a ferry, British Columbians have been hopping on planes or driving across the border to finally enjoy a vacation. 
But there are still COVID rules to follow when travelers return to Canada. And as Richard Zussman reports, not everyone knows about the rules or agrees with them. After more than two years, it is once again a familiar sight. Lines at the U.S.-Canada border. But unlike before, there are some very specific rules travelers coming into Canada need to know. You have to wear a mask for two weeks in public spaces. Really? And, yeah. Yes, Really, this is the list on the federal government website. Anyone coming into Canada from outside the country must wear a mask in all public places, both indoor and out, for 14 days. They must keep a list of close contacts, also for 14 days, and monitor for COVID symptoms. Yeah, that's ridiculous. Like, if you're fully vaccinated, why you need to do that, right? I probably won't wear my I, mask I at all. I at, at work, because I work with vulnerable people. The lack of clarity having some places, like the Oak Bay Rec Center in Victoria, posting signs because the policy for travelers is now out of sync with provincial rules. It's fair. And I mean, it's not asking much. It's, you're, you can still go in. Just need a mask. Honestly, it just makes sense. Like... You're going from a plane to one country to a whole, you could be going to a whole other continent. But what has experts perplexed is that the 14-day requirement is not just out of step with provincial rules, but out of step with science. 14 days of maintaining cold contacts um, still is looking at an incubation period, which is much longer um, than any variant has been in months now. If you cross this border and don't wear your mask, you could be fined $5,000 under the Quarantine Act. The question is whether anyone is actually going to enforce the law. The onus right now is on the federal government. Um, if they say, hey, we need to have these restrictions, there needs to be some transparency around here's the evidence why this continues to work. I don't think that evidence exists. What is adding to the confusion is when these travelers get home, they will get an email with the rules. One thing not included, the requirement to wear a mask for 14 days. Richard Zussman, Global News, Surrey. Well, for the first time since the pandemic began, Air Canada says it flew more than 100,000 people in a single day. The airline says 100,701 people flew on Friday. That's the highest one-day total since March of 2020. Now, despite reaching that high point, passenger loads are still far behind what they were before COVID-19. Back then, Air Canada carried an average of 150,000 people every day. The airline's low point came on April 23, 2020, when just 2,175 people flew. Thousands of Canadians are attempting to fly with Sunwing, and they are in limbo right now because of what seems like a network-wide computer failure. Among those affected are British Columbians now stuck in Mexico. Krista Dow reports. This is not a cheer. A polite Canadian protest as travelers' frustration reach a boiling point. We've been standing around for, for several hours. There's kids crying, screaming in the lines. It was literally chaos. Kelowna resident Andrew Lipton among the hundreds of Canadians stuck in limbo at the Sunwing check-in counter just trying to get home. What started out as a honeymoon trip in paradise is ending in headache. Lipton and his wife were supposed to leave Sunday night to return home to their kids, but by Monday afternoon, still grounded. It was not fair at all for any of us. And, you know, to, to not have any information and to just keep getting strung along, you know, step by step, uh, saying, okay, this is your time now. Uh, oh, no, actually, it's not your time. This is now your time. Uh, oh, okay, no, now it's cancelled. 
Lipton's story, an all-too-familiar experience for Vancouverite Danny Monahan, who is also scheduled to depart Cancun Sunday night. We all pulled up in a little minivan shuttle last night. She, like Lipton, among the luckier ones who were put up in two hotel rooms by Sunwing. You guys want to go home? A little, a little tired. But says the waiting game has been a challenge, and she's trying to stay positive. There's the, the costumes from the Hunger Games. So, of course, that's what we feel like we're in. We don't know when we're coming home. Sunwing says its systems provider is experiencing a network-wide system issue which has impacted check-in and boarding. Despite the reason, travelers say it's the lack of information that's unacceptable. The main issue this entire time is the lack of communication from Sunwing. We're just frustrated. We just want to go home. Whether Sunwing does still have a flight open for us or not, I, I, I have no idea. I will never book with Sunwing again. It's shocking, shocking to say the least. Lipton and his wife have booked flights with another airline at a cost of $2,000, a price he believes is worth it for a guaranteed return trip home. Krista Dow, Global News. And Sunwing's main base is in Toronto, where lineups stretched for hours and information has been scarce. A dozen departures were planned today from Toronto. All of them have been delayed, with departures pushed back, in some cases, 24 hours or more. It has all led to mounting frustration, including for one group that was heading to Mexico for a wedding, with tens of thousands of dollars on the line. Our wedding in total with everyone's over $70,000, with everyone having to pay everything, and now we're all having to wait, and it's frustrating. We're all excited for something that hasn't really happened, and I, just, I want answers. That's been the biggest uh, obstacle, really, is no, no one knows anything, and it hasn't been communicated. Sometime, some people have been getting emails and texts. We have not. Sunwing is encouraging passengers flying in the next 24 hours to check their flight status before they head to the airport. B.C.'s independent police watchdog has yet another case, this time after a death at the Surrey RCMP detachment. The Independent Investigations Office says Surrey Mounties arrested a man without incident on Friday in connection with a domestic assault investigation and took him to the detachment cell block. They say during the first regular checks he was fine, but on Saturday afternoon he was found unresponsive. Despite efforts by the on-site nurse and paramedics, he died, and the IIO is now investigating. An alleged attack in a B.C. Supreme Court room has exposed some major gaps in security. Catherine Shen is charged with attempted murder and accused of smuggling a hammer and a knife into the courtroom. As Rumina Dea tells us, this is not the first time a courthouse has become a crime scene. The public dumbfounded, questioning how someone walked into B.C. Supreme Court in Vancouver with a hammer and fish knife with a six-inch blade. We are incredibly fortunate that a very, very violent uh, incident did not result in someone's death. Jing Lu stabbed multiple times inside courtroom 32. The victim's injuries, life-threatening, but she's alive thanks to the quick action of court staff. Shen charged with attempted murder. The women in their 50s in court for a nasty civil dispute. Shen's bags never checked. No metal detector either. The only mandatory safety check in May 2021 
COVID-19 related. Defamation, divorce, custody battles over children, civil cases, not criminal, can be the most contentious, which is why the BCGEU has been fighting for over 15 years to have mandatory screening in place at this courthouse. Nothing has changed. There's been no real improvements. A few blocks away at provincial court, bags are searched for weapons. A metal detector, compulsory. Similar safety procedures also in effect at Surrey Provincial Court. The Attorney General says the horrific incident last May was reviewed and changes made, including a refresher course on lethal threat training for court staff. But strengthening security at entry points at Vancouver Supreme Court has not happened. It's a challenging building, the downtown Vancouver courthouse. There's multiple entrances. It's a very sprawling uh, facility. The Shen incident, extremely rare, but it's not the In 1990, late B.C. Supreme Court Justice David Vickers, a lawyer at the time, was stabbed in court after he jumped in to help his client, who was attacked in a custody case. It's always my view that you don't take a single incident and develop policy on a single incident. Earlier that same year, a person walked into New Westminster Supreme Court with a gun and took several hostages. Extraordinary violent events, true, but court staff worry about the threat of inaction. Having an excuse to not do something leaves us open and potentially at risk of something far more tragic happening. Romina Dea, Global News. New parents expose a flaw in provincial record keeping. The name they gave their newborn confused the system enough that it was rejected. How they're reacting next on the News Hour. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. Caught on video, a spectacular up-close visit with Biggs Killer Whales coming up on the NewsHour. Plus, a mecca for gamers and how it became the subject of a new documentary coming up later. Right now, though, a Campbell River couple is battling with the province to accept their baby's Indigenous name. The name contains some special characters often used in the Kwakwala language. And as Kylie Stanton reports, the parents feel the baby's name holds tradition and deep meaning. So this is Gugulas. He may not be able to say his name just yet, and it will still be a few years before he learns the story behind it. So it's named after a mountain in um, Lockborough, And the reason why we wanted a place name was because we wanted him to be deeply rooted into his territories. But when it came to officially registering their son with the provincial government, the traditional name was rejected. Not just once, three times. All because the special characters used in the spelling, the lambda, raised W, and schwa, or upside down E, are currently not recognized. Which was so ridiculous. According to this letter sent to the parents, the Vital Statistics Agency only allows Latin alphabetic letters, a standard set of French accents, apostrophes, hyphens, and periods. It went on to suggest changing the spelling of Google S's name to meet the standards. 
Prophet Smith says that would completely compromise the meaning, and they're done with compromise. Indigenous people have been compromising since um, since the landing of the first uh, colonizers. So I was really upset by it and told them that this is his name, that there's no other name that we could give him. In a statement, the Ministry of Health writes, we understand how distressing and frustrating this must be for families and that it disproportionately affects Indigenous families. We are working on making changes and we'll have more to share soon. They're saying a lot, but they're not doing a lot. And um, I think that's what's most frustrating. And we're suffering because of it. The longer Glugulis' name isn't officially registered, the longer he goes without a care card or even a birth certificate, meaning he's not eligible for any kind of medical coverage or benefits. Everything is going to be um, paid out of pocket. The family is now considering legal action. For them, this is something worth fighting for. We should be able to name our children how we see fit. And when the day comes to tell Glugulas the story behind his name, well, it will have a whole new chapter. Kylie Stanton, Global News. Just ahead, the looming debt crisis. What we're seeing is a lot more uncertainty for British Columbians and a lot more concern about their finances. Why some borrowers could do much better than others. And pay the same, get less. How you're getting ripped off by shrinkflation. This May, join me for the BC Cancer Foundation's Workout to Conquer Cancer. Sign up on your own or as a team. And let's move every day this May and help change cancer outcomes. Register today at workouttoconquercancer.ca. Rising interest rates have taken a toll on British Columbians. A new report shows more than half of those in the province say they have felt the impact on their bottom line. And as Kamal Karamali reports, there's concern, increasing concern really, about whether B.C. residents can pay off their debts. Dark clouds on the horizon as an affordability crisis looms over British Columbians. It's tough. Uh, it feels like everything is going up, but our earning incomes not really matching with the, with the difference. A new report shows the effect of rising interest rates has more people drowning in debt. I've lived here my whole life and worked really hard. So it's, it is heartbreaking, absolutely. I think I have to move away probably. In an Ipsos poll, more than half of British Columbians say interest rate increases have affected their bottom line, a jump of 6% since December's report. 60% say they're concerned about whether they can pay off their debts. Half are worried about paying living expenses without going further into debt. And more than a third say the interest rate hike could drive them closer to bankruptcy, all up from December's numbers. What we're seeing is a lot more uncertainty for British Columbians and a lot more concern about their finances. And any leftover cash also drying up quickly. British Columbians' rainy day fund has already dropped drastically. Since December, the average household's disposable income has decreased $269 to just over $700 by the month's end. That's the biggest drop in Canada. Nearly half say they're $200 or less away from not being able to meet their financial obligations, and one-third say they already can't cover their debt and bill payments. 
That is a large number to me, yeah. And that's when you see people borrowing more money um, in order to make ends meet each month, and that's when they get into that cycle of borrowing and debt that's really difficult to get out of. Even with the drop in disposable income, BC residents still have the most left over at the end of the month compared to the rest of Canada. Apparently I'm safe because I overpay my mortgage. <laughs> Making them more likely to be able to handle the interest rate hike and see blue skies ahead. Kamal Karamali, Global News. All right, if it seems like the packages you purchase at the grocery store lately are shrinking, you are not going crazy. Many companies are turning to a new strategy to offset higher fuel costs and other expenses. It's known as shrinkflation, a tactic often used by brands to combat inflation. So with more, let's bring in Consumer Matters reporter Andrew. It seems a bit sneaky, and It's very sneaky. Thanks, Sophie. From fewer potato chips per bag to less volume in your coffee cream, it seems we are seeing more and more examples of shrinkflation. It's a tricky tactic, but industry experts say it's legal. The same size container. There's just less product in it. Richard Austin has made a frustrating discovery. His usual one-liter container of Dairyland Cremo has shrunk in size. A classic example, industry experts say, of shrinkflation, when companies reduce the size or quantity of a product rather than raising prices. So previously we've been buying one-liter containers of Cremo, and we got home, we looked, and all of a sudden it's 946 mils. That wasn't the only change. His Cremo package now has a new look, a plastic pour spout. Richard says he doesn't mind the new feature, but he's concerned with the amount of product he's receiving. Either paying the same price or possibly paying more. Consumer Matters reached out to Saputo, which owns Dairyland, about the package size change, but we didn't get a response. However, Richard Austin did. In an email, Saputo stated... As ingredient prices and supply chain costs continue to rise, we chose to offer a slightly smaller format to help mitigate some of these increased costs while ensuring we remain competitive within the marketplace. Right now, inflation is a huge challenge for everyone. Consumers are being hit with higher food prices, but processors are also hit by higher costs, operational costs as well. And so... At some point, you don't want to lose market share, so you want to charge too much, uh, so you're careful with your packaging strategies. Sneaky, yes. Illegal, no. A well-known strategy, industry experts say that's been used for years by companies to curb rising costs. There's absolutely nothing illegal about what's, ca- what's happening. Uh, even in dairy, there's nothing illegal about this. Uh, it's quite normal. And, and frankly, companies will do that uh, as, as part of their strategy. Uh, they are out there to make money, and, and this is certainly one way to do it. So what can consumers do to fight shrinkflation when shopping down the grocery aisle? If you want to budget appropriately, go by the quantity, and not just by brands and formats and products. It's just a matter of trying to make an awareness and get uh, people to uh, sort of look when they buy stuff. And that means paying attention to unit pricing, the cost per liter or kilogram, so you can determine what you're actually spending. Also, to help fight shrinkflation, think about signing up for store rewards programs and shop store brands to save money instead of the higher price, well-known brand names. And if you have a consumer issue for me, you can email me at consumermatters at globalnews.ca. All right. Thank you, Anne. Coming up, Russia tightens its grip on Ukraine. 
Why Ukrainians are running out of places to hide. And the new zero emissions tanker that has some surprises hidden below decks. Another troubling escalation today in the invasion of Ukraine. A city not far from the Polish border, once considered to be a refuge and waypoint for weapons from the West, has been hit by Russian missiles. Aaron MacArthur has the latest. Expected for weeks, the major Russian offensive in the Donbass appears to have finally begun. Monday night, Ukrainians using the social media platform Telegram, documenting heavy fighting in cities across eastern Ukraine. In an address Monday night, President Volodymyr Zelensky says Russians have attacked on a front stretching about 300 miles. In anticipation of the offensive, Russian forces targeting cities across the country. Civilians once again in the crossfire in Kharkiv. Six people dead in some of the heaviest shelling seen in weeks. While the majority of fighting expected to be in the Donbass, Russia claims it is hitting military targets across the country. Lviv, almost on the Polish border, saw explosions rock central parts of the city. Russia claims these are warehouses used to distribute Western weaponry. Ukraine says the buildings were largely empty. Instead, more than half a dozen civilians have been killed. In Mariupol, the situation has degenerated to what is essentially a last stand. Ukrainian soldiers and upwards of a thousand civilians hold up in a steel plant on the outskirts of the city, ignoring Russian demands of surrender. Russian soldiers evacuating some residents out of the besieged city. This woman has a daughter who lives in the DNR. She says maybe we'll try living there for a while. Military aid to Ukraine expected to increase in the coming days as are economic sanctions against Russia. Neither seem likely to stop this Russian invasion from inflicting further damage. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. A Japanese company has unveiled the world's first electric tanker. The 62-meter-long vessel developed by shipping company Asahi Tanker is powered by a giant lithium-ion battery and can sail 12 hours on a single charge. It's smoother and quieter than conventional tankers, and it can even feed power back into the grid if there's a power outage in Tokyo. It was a busy morning commute for drivers in Burnaby. Grandview Highway at Boundary was shut down for hours after Save Old Growth protesters took over the intersection. One protester sitting on a ladder had to be removed. Police in tactical gear were able to get the man down with the help of firefighters extending their ladder. Another protester wrapped in an emergency blanket super glued their hand to the road before being freed by paramedics. The reason that we're here uh, disrupting traffic is because we know that in order to create actual legislative change, we need to create a real economic disruption. So we need to cost the government and the police a lot of money. 
Both protesters who blocked the road were taken away in handcuffs. This is the seventh action this group has taken just this month. They say another protest is being planned for Wednesday, but did not say when or where it will happen. Some Vancouver Island marine enthusiasts got the thrill of a lifetime on Easter Sunday. After tracking five orcas throughout the day, they captured them up close on video swimming among the boats in the Comox Marina. They identified the whales as T049A1, otherwise known as Noah, along with his aunt and cousins. Nikki Smiley and her daughter Ella operate the Comox Valley Wildlife Sightings Facebook page, which alerts people to whale sightings from land. Well, more than 25 million people remain under lockdown in one of China's largest cities. The Omicron variant continues to spread. And now Shanghai is reporting the first COVID-related deaths of the latest wave. Global's Kyle Benning has more. The three weeks of lockdown in Shanghai are taking a toll on the city of more than 25 million. Clashes between frustrated residents and police have become more frequent. But the virus continues to spread, with the city reporting deaths from the disease. Shanghai's local health commission inspector says three elderly patients with underlying health conditions who had not been vaccinated died from complications arising from COVID-19. China says about two in five people older than 60 have not been vaccinated, with many concerned that this could be the cause for serious cases in the current outbreak. The country has reported about 4,600 deaths since the start of the pandemic. While some have been loosened, Shanghai remains under a number of lockdown measures. The Chinese government reported more than 23,000 new cases Monday, with most of them being asymptomatic people in Shanghai. And as weeks have passed, one of the country's major economic centers has resembled a ghost town. Businesses are preparing for Shanghai to reopen as concern mounts over the economic impact. This man is a director at a car manufacturing factory and says the company is looking into how it can resume its capabilities while maintaining a zero-infection workplace. The country has held on to its zero-COVID policy since the start of the pandemic. This Canadian epidemiologist says leaders need to consider that old public health measures might not be the best way to deal with the BA2 variant. Our ability to implement uh, uh, you know, certainly different uh, procedures and protocols has to also adapt with that. And in some cases they may not be able to, to be applied anymore. Shanghai has been on a lockdown since late March and has seen more than 300,000 new cases in that time. Kyle Benning, Global News. Up ahead, a store owner at the top of his game. People make pilgrimages. The new documentary shining a light on this Calgary secret that keeps kids and adults off the computer. But first, an early start to fire season, where this one is burning next. The Salvation Army has been serving the downtown east side for more than 65 years. While the need continues to grow, they have a vision to meet the demand. Nine Stories of Hope will provide essential services to those in need. And revitalize the community. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. A northern B.C. town is getting a glimpse of B.C.'s upcoming fire season. Take a look at this footage shot just over the community of Kitwanga, 90 kilometers northeast of Terrace, over the weekend. The fire briefly closed off Highway 37, but the roadway is now back open. Resident Jacob Beaton spotted the fire and captured drone footage as it ripped through Snake Hill. 
Wildfire is still deemed out of control and is believed to be human caused. Merritt residents are growing more concerned about potential flooding as warmer weather approaches. The city experienced catastrophic flooding and wildfires last year, and now many are worried about an increase in melting snowpacks. One resident says she was forced from her home twice during floods. The B.C. River Forecast Center says its most recent report shows a slightly elevated risk for flooding this spring, especially risky in areas that experienced flooding and fires before. And not feeling especially spring-like in some parts of B.C. right now. No, All right. rainy. Yeah, rainy, and it still looks pretty snowy up on the hills. Let's bring in uh, Christy Gordon with a look at the forecast. Christy? Thanks so much. Yeah, so it was nice that we carved out some sunshine for our Easter Sunday. All the trick-or-treaters, or not trick-or-treaters, the Easter egg hunters were able to get out there. But today, it feels like we're right back into winter. Wind and rain throughout the day, and this is what it looked like on the local mountains. Yes, almost blizzard-like conditions up there with snow and wind. Uh, Grouse Mountain actually had to close today because of the conditions, and they're going to be closed again tomorrow because of maintenance. Here's a look at the winds that we had. The bulk or the heaviest uh, winds were through the overnight period, but still throughout the day we had gusty conditions, 60 to 70 kilometer an hour gusts, couple thousand without power. We no longer have any wind warnings in effect, and we are expecting the winds to ease off overnight. As the same, we're also expecting uh, the rain to ease off. And it's all because of this cold front that's swinging through the region. That will shift further inland impacting those areas with snowfall. We have snowfall for the mountain passes as well as from the central interior into the far north. So these are the warnings that are in place. So we're talking about Palsam Summit to Kootenai Pass up to 20 centimeters of snow as well as Rogers Pass up to 15. Meanwhile, the northeastern portions of the province, Hudson's Hope, uh, Chatwin, Tumbler Ridge up to 20 centimeters of snow. And this is through the day tomorrow. Here's a look at uh, the forecast. So we're also talking about snowfall in areas like Smithers. We'll see a transition to rain in areas like Golden and Vailmont, but nonetheless snow overnight. Some breaks of blue sky through the Okanagan Valley. And for our region, some breaks as well. We get in behind the cold front tomorrow, but we still do have showers in the forecast, especially in the morning. And we have a risk of thunderstorms tomorrow. And it's not going to be very warm with a high of only 10 degrees. That's well below seasonal for this time of year, but we'll warm up a bit on Wednesday. Tonight's Central Windows weather window comes to you from Purden Ski Hill, which is not too far from Prince George. This is little Cody and Papa Greg out for a great um, Sunday Easter ski ride. You can see he's got his helmet all decorated there. Colleen, thanks for sharing that with us. It was so great to have some sunshine for our uh, Easter Sunday. That's a great shot there looking out over Purden Lake. Back to you guys. Beautiful view from up there and a fun day, no doubt. Thanks very much, Christy. A rehabilitated northern goshawk wasted no time flying back into its natural habitat this morning. <laughs> the hawk has been released into forested area near Lumbee. The northern goshawk can be found around the world, but they are fairly rare here in B.C. This bird was found in this same area in early January with a badly injured wing. No one was sure it would even survive, but after three months with the Orphan Wildlife Rehabilitation Society, the bird is completely healed and ready to hunt once again. It was, you know, it couldn't fly. It was hopping, so there was something wrong with him. And so you thought, like, I, I need to help this bird? That, yeah. That's right. 
at first they did, weren't sure it was going to survive or that they could rehabilitate it. But they worked and worked with it and uh, taught it to hunt again and uh, completely healed. And they sent it up yesterday with a volunteer driver. Northern goshawks generally live on the edges of fields where they can hunt their small prey. Canucks hunting for a win tonight. Let's bring Squire in for a look ahead to what's coming up on sports. But this is big prey. It's oh, not yeah. small. This isn't the Arizona Coyotes. This is Dallas. The uh, Canucks don't have Bo Horvat for this game tonight. He's out, of course, at least two weeks. But they are getting Matthew Highmore and Brock Besser back. I think they're really important additions to our team. And uh, we're, you know, I think they're excited to play, too. And Besser needs to find his scoring touch immediately with Horvat being gone the rest of the regular season. No doubt. Also, why customers never get bored shopping at this massive game store. I thought you said it was dusty. <laughs> well, it could be. Which it is. It is dusty right? sometimes. Anyway. No, I was just doing some adjusting. Got it, got and it. Some things I had to hide. Do you feel ready now? I do feel ready now. All right, go I ahead. You really do. Uh, Bo Horvat is out. He's not ready, of course. But Brock Besser is back. So is Matthew Highmore. They'll both play tonight at uh, Rogers Arena against Dallas. It's a good thing because Horvat leads the team in goals. So at least Besser might be able to pick up some of that slack, although he has just two goals in his last 10 games. Now, we all know Brock Besser is a streaky scorer, but Vancouver needs a good streak to start right now. And with more on the game, let's go down to Rogers Arena where Jay Janauer is hanging out. So here we are down to the final couple of weeks of the NHL regular season and the Vancouver Canucks still have themselves in the playoff hunt. Game five tonight of Vancouver's crucial six-game homestand. The Canucks five straight wins and counting and tonight they take on the Dallas Stars. Dallas and Nashville both holding on to the final two wildcard playoff spots in the West at 91 points. That's seven more than the Vancouver Canucks. So realistically, are the Canucks going to catch them? Hard to say. More realistic, though, is perhaps reeling in the L.A. Kings, who sit third in the Pacific Division, six points up on Vancouver, but the Canucks have two games in hand, so the Canucks, they have to just keep on winning. I mean, it doesn't matter where we, where we wild card um, division, it doesn't matter. We just want to get in, but we know we have to win. You know, I mean, at least six of the next seven, so that's, uh, that's the way it's looking right now. It's... it's like a turtle, like it's not like a the hare right now where you're all of a sudden you just jump up. It's a, a point here, a point there, and you know these next two games are uh, if we were ever to be successful, all of a sudden we get right into the pack. Then it becomes uh, really interesting. Tonight, marking the first game that the Vancouver Canucks will play with other captain Bo Horvat. Horvat's gone for at least two weeks after sustaining that foot injury on Thursday night's game against the Arizona Coyotes. But the good news for the Vancouver Canucks. Brock Besser back in the lineup. He's been skating on and off for the last week. He hasn't played since suffering an upper body injury against the Vegas Golden Knights on April the 3rd. This morning he was skating alongside Elias Pettersson and Connor Garland. You know, I feel I haven't had a great year and to, to come back in um, this situation, obviously, you know, it sucks. We're going to miss bowl a lot, but, um, you know, it gives an opportunity for a lot of guys to step up and, and really um, kind of shows the character that we have on this team. Uh, like I said earlier, I think we've shown it a lot this year. To, to get to the point where, where we're at right now, it's, it's amazing. And, um, you know, it shows how, how bad we want to win here. So, um, you know, it's, it's a big opportunity. And, you know, I need to produce for the team and, and help us win games.
Seven games remaining for the Vancouver Canucks in the regular season. And as I mentioned, they just have to keep on winning. We'll see if the playoff dream stays alive tonight when they face off against the Dallas Stars. 7.30 from Rogers Arena with your ringside report, Jay Janower, Global Sports. When it comes to North Vancouver's Connor Bedard, you can believe the hype. He has not disappointed anybody since being given exceptional player status to join the Regina Pats of the WHL early. He's only 16, but he's already one of the top players in the Western League and still the number one prospect for not this year, but next year's NHL draft. On Sunday, Connor Bedard became the youngest player in WHL history to score 50 goals in a season getting one in the third period to reach the milestone. You know, everyone wanted that goal for, you know, people were counting the shots what he was getting on net because we kept on telling him, like, you get 10 shots on net tonight, one will go in, you know, so just keep on shooting, we'll find you a way. Bedard and Regina missed the Western Hockey League playoffs, but he will have lots to do before next season. He'll be with Canada at the World Under-18 Championships in April and with Canada at the World Juniors in August, where he hopes to continue honing a game that has every NHL team dreaming of number 98. Uh, you know, I kind of want to be a more all-around player. I think, you know, be, being able to put in, be put in any situation, whether it's penalty kill, last minute of the game, or, or something like that's really important to me. And, uh, you know, obviously I've, I think I've improved on that <clears throat> throughout the year, but uh, definitely be more 200 foot is something I want to work on. Whitecaps' next game is Saturday in Austin, which is off to a great start this year, which is exactly the opposite of the Whitecaps. And right now the Caps are not sure if Ryan Gold will play this one. He's still in concussion protocol from getting hurt during Saturday's game, which they lost to Montreal. Fred Van Vliet and the Raptors. This is not like the 2019 series between the 76ers and Toronto. Toronto are underdogs, and they're getting pasted right now in Philadelphia. Joel Embiid, look at this. Turnaround three-pointer for the big man. Nothing but net. And it's nothing but Philadelphia in game two. It's a one-nothing lead already in this series. Watch this play. Not so much the hit. I want you to watch what happens at third base today. Rafael Devers should be out at third. But Gio Urshela misses tagging him not once, but twice. Okay. He misses this tag. Now, Devers goes off the base, so he's free game again, and he misses the tag again. Now, if you're a Twins fan, not to worry. The Twins still won this game 8-3, and actually Devers got hit on a rundown, taken out on a rundown shortly after this. But you don't see that very often. It's like a ghost at third base, and he could not put the tag on him. Boston Marathon, Evans Chebet. Winning the men's race, took over the lead with about four miles to go. Perez Jepchircher of uh, Kenya won the women's race. She's the Olympic champion in BC zone. Melody Elmore finished 11th. Melody Elmore finished 11th. Two hours, 27 minutes, 58 seconds. That's a Canadian course record. There you go. So fast. Always astonished by the pace mm -hmm. at the end of the race mm -hmm. from those runners. Cool, thanks, Squire. Up next, a Calgary man who rolled the dice on a business idea more than four decades ago. And is it ever paying off now? I'm standing by now with details of what's coming up tonight on Global News at 11. Jordan?
Sophie, tonight a remarkable rescue story from the high alpine of Whistler Blackcomb. You'll meet the teenager, a grade 12 student who dug a woman out of the snow when an avalanche came down within the ski area boundary. Also, Highway 10 in Cloverdale is closed east of 168th Street. A truck and a car collided. The car, as you can see, sustained extreme damage. Its driver has serious injuries. Plus, some of the stranded Sunwing passengers are now airborne after being delayed more than 24 hours due to that technical meltdown. Our camera is at YVR for their arrival. These stories and more tonight on Global News at 11. Sophie? I'm sure they'll be glad to get home. Thanks for that, Jordan. No doubt. All right, this is a huge month. For a longtime Calgary business that's brought a lot of fun to a lot of families. As Gil Tucker explains, it's now making the leap from a small board to a big screen. Getting the board all set. And then we have our missions. A classic ticket to ride. You want to try and make trains. Gord Johansson's an old hand at it. As for his guest, Gary Snow. This is my first time. But he's certainly no stranger to games. I grew up playing Dungeons and Dragons. Gaming and nerd culture has become mainstream. And no one knows that better than Gord. So I would draw one. This is his place, the Sentry Box. And it's no ordinary store. As far as I know, we are world's largest game store. And now Gary's made a documentary about it called Friendly Local Game Store. From my research, it certainly is the largest game store, and uh, Calgary should be proud of it. 7,000 games Gord's got here. These are some of the historical miniature games. Drawing in customers from all over the world. Every continent except Antarctica. It's almost like people make pilgrimages. (laughs) I think you actually already got this one. It's social. People are so tired of looking at the computers all day. Playing something where you're you're talking with the people too, right? You don't even get that playing video games. The documentary really shows how games can bring people together from diverse backgrounds for a common purpose. This display was built by one of my staff, just just for fun. Building it up bit by bit since opening 42 years ago. Still lots of fun. I love my job. I don't get to retire. I'm not allowed to retire according to customers because they're worried about what would happen. So if I put down two red, that would work. Gary's documentary screens at this month's Calgary Underground Film Festival. Games Meister Gord is pumped for the premiere. Seven points again and I'm catching up. Ah. Gil Tucker, Global <laughs> News. Loves his board games, no doubt about it. Board games are fun. Mm-hmm. Game of Life. Oh, the Game of Life, that was a good one. Risk. Does Hungry Hippos mm-hmm. count? Clue. Yes. Clue. Clue, yeah. Yep. How about Parcheesi? How about... Uh, Candyland? Oh, Candyland, I love Candyland. How about Pop-A-Matic, Pop-A-Dice, mm-hmm. Pop-A-Six, and you move twice. Race your men around the track and try <laughs> to send the others back. That's Pop-A-Matic trouble. Wow. wow. There you go. Pulled that right Old out commercials are stuck in my cranium. All right, there's no way we can upstage that. So <laughs> just have a great evening, and thanks very much for watching. We'll be back here tomorrow. Have a good night, all.